Well, take your Bibles, and uh, I'll be brief this morning, but let's just take a look very briefly today at a few different verses. Uh, You just kind of have it ready. Uh, We're going to kind of jump around this morning, more of a topical message today. But I, oh yes, the kids can go to junior church. Thank you. I'm sorry. Chaotic morning. So I want to talk to you this morning about thank you, God, for what you are doing. As you will recall, we're in the midst of a project, Thankfulness, this month. And we've talked so far about thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, God, for what you have done. And now today, thank you, God, for what you are doing. So what is God doing? I mean, one of the things we see right here in front of us kind of makes us, it jumps out at us. But what is God doing in the here and now, in the present Right now in our lives, in your lives, for which we ought to be thankful. I've been thinking about that the last week or so as I prepared for this. And, and, and just a whole rush of words came to my mind. Just individual things that God is doing. And so let me just share a few uh, things that God is doing right now that we ought to be thankful for. First of all, number one, He is accompanying I know that's a hard word to say, but it's the only one I could think of. He is accompanying. In other words, he's with us. He's with us. The psalmist said in Psalm 46, verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, Mark mentioned this this morning in his Sunday school class, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He is with us. And I don't know about you, but that makes me thankful. I am thankful that God is with me, that he is accompanying me everywhere I go and every minute of every day. The children of Israel forgot this. The children of Israel uh, were accompanied by God by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day all throughout their wanderings. They forgot all about that. They came to a day when they were getting ready to enter the promised land. And when they entered the promised land, the spies went in and spied out the land and they came back and they gave a report that it was a, it was a wonderful place. But the people were afraid. Turn with me. I want, to, I want to read this to you. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. And I want you to notice how they forgot that God is with them. Numbers 14. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Fourth book of the Bible. Chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the children wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the Lord of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Notice that last verse. Do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Can we not thank God that God is with us? Can we not thank God that every moment of the day, in the present, right now, He is accompanying us every place 
we might go. Way back in April, April 1st, 2008, I was looking back through old blog postings from the church, and I came across one I posted on April 1st, 2008, and it was entitled, I'm with him. Let me just read it to you briefly. It said this. It said, although television is a terrible source of truth most of the time, once in a while you get something pretty good from it. Consider the commercial I saw the other morning as I was preparing for work. It was entirely based on the word with and pointed out how simply adding the word with to a sentence can completely change everything. It adds an element of relationship to the thought. I'm with her. I'm with the band. He's with me. She's with child. If you think about it, with is one of the truly wonderful words in the English language and the basis of one of the most profound thoughts about Jesus Christ ever imagined. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. When Jesus came to be with us, it changed everything. He lived, he died, he rose again, just so you and I could be with him. Are you with him? Well, he's with us. He's with us. He's accompanying us every step of the way, whether we see him or not, whether we feel his presence or not, whether we want him there or not. He is with us every step of the way and every minute of the day. Can we not say thank you, God, for what you are doing? Accompanying. Second word. Interceding. Interceding. Christians need to be intercessors. We need to pray one for another. And all of us, as we progress through this life, will come to times where we need to be interceded for and we need to be prayed for. There aren't very things more precious in life than the knowledge that people are praying for you. I suppose I've needed that more lately than most. But I have been sustained in recent days by the knowledge that it was there. I've had some people come up to me lately and say, I just don't know how you do what you're doing. Well, I can't do what I'm doing, except for the fact that God's people are buoying me up and praying for me constantly. I went to my chiropractor a while back, Brother Dan. I went to my chiropractor a while back. And uh, the lady that was in there, she, she saw who I was. She said, are you Bill Johnson? I said, yes. She said, are you the Bill Johnson whose wife just died? And I said, yes. And she said, you must be the most prayed for man in northeast Ohio. And I thought, Hallelujah. I feel it. It's the only thing that keeps me going. We need it. I have been sustained by the knowledge of it. I have been strengthened and improved by God's responses to it. I know that the only reason that I am still able to do anything at all, even breathe, is because God is answering those prayers. I have been encouraged, encouraged and filled with joy and hope on those rare occasions where I actually hear it. There's nothing quite like being prayed for, except one thing's even better. That's hearing somebody pray for you. Come to prayer meeting and hear somebody lift up your name. Oh, it's an encouraging thing. Oh, the power we have, the privilege we have to intercede for one another. That's why we have a midweek prayer meeting. That's why we have periodic prayers for the burdens here in in these services. And that's why we encourage each and every member of Friendship Bible Church to pray one for another. We need to be intercessors. It's a great truth. But you know there's a greater truth? You know what it is? Not just the fact that God's people are praying and interceding. But how about the fact that Jesus is praying and interceding? 
Hallelujah. When you think about that, Jesus is interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for me. Jesus is interceding for you. That's what he's doing right now for which we ought to be thankful. Thank you, God, for what you are doing, interceding for me. Isaiah chapter 53, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans 8.34, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Paul said to Timothy, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is our mediator, our go-between, our intercessor. John, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, our mediator, our go-between, our advocate, our intercessor. Now, there are two ways I can think of in which Christ intercedes for us. One is by his blood, by his blood. Jesus does, or God doesn't see us in our own merit. He sees us through the blood of Christ. And so he intercedes with his blood. But he also does intercede, I believe, with his prayer. I believe Jesus is praying for you and for me. You want to see an example of how Jesus prays? Look over at John chapter 17, John chapter 17. You know, there's a prayer in the Bible that is oftentimes referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And really, we ought not to call that the Lord's Prayer. We ought to call this the Lord's Prayer, because this is where Jesus is actually praying. The other, we might want to call it the Disciples' Prayer, because that's when they came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray, and he gave them a sample prayer. But here in John chapter 17, let's read. Let's read this prayer. Beginning in verse number one, Jesus spoke these words, lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost, except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it and the love with which you loved me, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. That's how Jesus prays. And that's how Jesus is praying for you and for me. Can we not say thank you, God, for what you are doing, for the fact that he is interceding? Third word. Third word. Sanctifying. Sanctifying. He is accompanying us everywhere we go. He is interceding for us each and every day, praying for us, and He is also sanctifying us. You know, so many things happened when you got saved. When you got saved, you were justified. That means you were declared righteous in the mind of God. Just as all your sins were laid on Christ. And He became sin for you on the cross of Calvary. So at the exact same moment, in the exact same transaction, all of His righteousness was laid on you. And you became righteous, declared righteous in the eyes of God because of Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So you were justified in the mind of God. Perfect. Sinless. You are also forgiven of every sin that you have ever committed, are committing, or ever will commit. Even thinking about committing, you were forgiven when you were saved. You were adopted into the family of God. You became a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ, a member of His family. You became joint heir to all that is His. You were given a home in heaven, an address, a dwelling place there in the kingdom. A lot of wonderful things happened when you got saved. But, you know, it doesn't take very long for the new Christian to realize that some things didn't seem to change when you got saved. Maybe one time you walked an aisle. You had heard the gospel preached and you would heard the message and you knew that you were a sinner and you came and you trusted Christ. And maybe on your way home from church that very, very day, somebody cut you off in traffic. And those same old words came out of your mouth, that used to come out of your mouth before you got saved. You thought to yourself, what? What? What happened? How is it possible? Did it take? Did it really work? How can I still do that? Or maybe you struggled with other issues, issues like substance abuse, maybe maybe uh, smoking or drinking or, or drugs or something like that. And maybe after you were saved, you thought all that would go away, and then one day you discovered that the same allure is there, the same pull for those things is still there. And you thought to yourself, why? I thought I was saved. How come I still want those things? 
Maybe it was pornography that was the pull before, and it's still pulling now. Maybe it was, I don't know, anger, temper. Maybe it was laziness. I mean, we could all fill in the blanks, right? We all have sins in our lives, besetting sins that we know, and we think to ourselves, how come after I got saved, that didn't just instantly go away? And the fact is, sometimes they do instantly go away. Sometimes God is gracious to do that, but that's not the norm. That's not the norm. Why then, when we got saved, did these things not disappear from our lives as we expected them to? And that's where that big word sanctification comes in. He is sanctifying us. There are a lot of big words we learn as Christians, and all of them are important. This is one. Sanctification is a huge word, and one we can't even possibly deal with in the few minutes that are left to us this morning. But let's just, for our purposes today, let's concentrate on this very simple definition. Sanctification refers to the separation of the believer from evil things and ways. In other words, sanctification refers to the ability of the Christian to live a holy life for God. It's that quality in the Christian that says no to sin and yes to God. That's sanctification. Now, I know I'm getting a little technical here, but we need to think about this for just a minute. There's two ways to think about sanctification, two ways it's spoken of in Scripture. Positional sanctification and practical or progressive sanctification. Positional sanctification refers to the fact that in the mind of God, we are perfectly holy. When God looks at you, Christian, He sees you holy. He sees you perfect, separated unto Him, not because of your own merit, which is non-existent, but because He sees you through the merit of another. He sees you through the merit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you, were, when you trusted Christ, you were immediately and forever justified, Declared righteous in the mind of God, and you are also immediately and forever sanctified, set apart to God. In the mind of God, you are perfect, made holy for Him. That's positional sanctification, what we are in the mind of God. But then there's this other thing. It's called practical sanctification or progressive sanctification because it's a process. It refers to the process by which in this life we are progressively becoming more, in reality, like what we really already are positionally in the mind of God. We are becoming more and more holy. When we get to glory someday, we'll be perfectly holy. We'll be what we are now in position. But right now it's a process that we're going through. Let me share some scripture. Maybe we'll explain it better. Paul explained it like this. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 18, We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Does that make it clearer? No, it doesn't, does it? You're all shaking your head no, if you were honest. Let's try it in another translation. How about the NIV? The NIV says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Does that help? No, it doesn't help either. How about, how about if we look at the message? Now, the message is a dangerous book. You have to be careful with the message. The message is a, is a, a paraphrase of Scripture. It's not a true translation, so sometimes he gets it right and sometimes he gets it very, very wrong. But... If you understand that and you compare it to other translations, you're okay. Let's see what he has to say here in the message. 2 Corinthians 3.18. So we are transfigured much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Is that a little clearer? Maybe. All of them are describing a process. Can you see that? A process whereby as we progress through this life, we are becoming more and more like God wants us to be. 
That's progressive sanctification or practical sanctification. The writer to the Hebrews clarifies it for us when he mentions both aspects in one sentence. Hebrews 10.14, For by one offering he has perfected forever... There it is. That's uh, positional sanctification. He has done it. In the mind of God, it's done. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So it's a process. We've talked about this sometimes before, and we've described it as the three tenses of salvation, or maybe the three P's of salvation. And if you don't have this written down in your Bible, you ought to, because this helps us to understand this. We know that God has delivered us. He has delivered me, past tense, from the penalty of sin. That's the first P, penalty. God has, past tense, delivered me from the penalty of sin. I am justified. I am declared righteous in His mind. There is therefore now no condemnation to me, ever, or to anybody who has trusted Christ. For we are delivered forever from the penalty of sin. It was paid on the cross. When Jesus said it is finished, you never need fear standing before God for the penalty for your sin. But God is also delivering us, present tense, from the power of sin in our lives. That's the second P, power. Penalty, power. And that's the practical of the progressive sanctification. It's happening now and every day in this life as I walk in the Spirit and as I try to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. I am being delivered in this life from the power of sin over my life. And then there's one day coming in the future, glory to God, when I will be delivered. From the very presence of sin. That's the third P. Penalty, power, presence. That's when I will know in practicality what I now know in position. That is when I will experience the perfect holiness that God already sees me as. Technical stuff I know, but think about it. What is God doing in the here and now for which I can be thankful? What is He doing? He is sanctifying. He is dealing with sin in our lives. He is helping us with those issues with which we struggle. He is making us progressively and practically more holy and more like Him each and every day that we live on this earth. And so when you struggle with those same old sins, and when months and months and maybe years after you've been saved, you find yourself still tempted with the same temptations, well, you need to pray and ask God's forgiveness. But you also need to say, thank you, God. For what you are doing. Because he is dealing with it. He is sanctifying. Can we not say it? Thank you God for what he is doing. Well, I'm sure there's others that you could think of. We've seen that he is accompanying us. He is interceding for us. And he is sanctifying us. There's all kinds of other words that come to mind. He is, he is preserving us. I think Mark talked about this this morning in Sunday School too. We are preserved in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.12 I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. I don't have to keep myself in Him. He keeps me in Him. You have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Charles Spurgeon said we often forget that the author of our faith must also be the preserver of it. You're saved today because Jesus saved you. You're still saved today because Jesus keeps you saved. He preserves. Thank God for it. That's what He's doing right now. He is protecting. Protecting. Nothing happens to a believer in Christ unless God has willed it and God has allowed it. Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. 
Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Songwriter said, why should I feel so scourged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. He is protecting. Can we not say thank you, God, for what you are doing? One last one. Let me close with this one. He is speaking. He is speaking. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants everybody saved. He wants you saved. And therefore He is patient and He is waiting and He is giving every opportunity for people to come to Christ. Why has Jesus not come back yet? Do you ever find yourself asking that question? Where is the promise of His coming? This is it. He's waiting patiently for people to be saved. And toward that end, He is speaking. We have a God who speaks. Timothy Keller said that's why we have a Bible. And all around us today, in countless pulpits, hundreds, thousands of pulpits, the Word of God is going forth. God is speaking. In people's homes and across tables, people are sharing Scripture all around the world. God is speaking. The message is going forth and has been going forth and continues to go forth. People are hearing it. People who need to trust it and be saved. And maybe this morning you're one of those people. Well, I can say thank you, God, for what He's doing in your life, if that's the case. Because He's speaking. But I also would pray that you would hear and that you would respond and that you would say yes to his offer of salvation today. Oh, we could go on and on with these thoughts, couldn't we? There's so many things, so many things that we could say that God is doing right now in our lives and how we ought to be thankful. Can't we say it? Can you say it with me? Thank you, God, for what you are doing. That wasn't very loud. Let's say it again. Thank you, God, for what you are doing.